This is RAF with Tony Tone and LA. Yo, what's up? It's your boy LA, aka the Love Ambassador. Coming to you straight, live and direct from the Jungle Studios. Oh, what a world we live in. It's full of hatred, love, and all the in-between. But don't worry, as we guide you through 2024. It's uh, been rumoured to be somewhat of a legend. A man of the people. When men were men. And alas, we're bringing you back for another brilliant episode. The one. The only. Oh, Mr. Oh, Philly! What's up, man? How's it going, amigo? Yeah! Hey. All good? Good Go weekend on. so far? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, all right, let's get into it. So, um, you know, the, the, the society we're living in today, it's pretty hard to not be a bit anxious and stressed and, you know, everyone you talk to and all sides of the domain, but, you know, let's just think people generally aren't really... They're kind of weighed down, you know. They're weighed down by environment or Trump or politics or whatever. So I thought before we get into the heavy stuff again, I'm uh, going to liven the mood up a little bit, right? So uh, for all the legal reasons, which I don't actually fully understand, but this is an article from The Australian. Uh, the author is Ross Bilson. We advise you to subscribe and everything like that. We don't own the rights, but quite frankly... This is just the story that I think the whole world should hear. So bear with me for a couple of minutes, Mr. Philly. I'm going to read it out with you, and then we have a bit of a yarn afterwards. It's one big vanilla sex party. Meet the vanilla thriller, a farmer in the Daintree Forests, for those that don't know, it's northern Queensland, who grows these prized beans by tickling the plants with his bare hands. The vanilla plant, like the giant panda, is rubbish at sex. Hanky-panky? Eh. It just doesn't seem interested, and it's certainly no good at it. In its native habitat in Central and South America, vanilla planifolia, a climbing vine that thrives in the dappled sunlight of the rainforest understory, relies on a particular type of orchard bee to pollinate its dainty, pale, yellow, hemorrhagic flowers. Only this bee has the body shape required to navigate the flower's complex internal architecture and in so doing, to brush pollen from its stamen to its pistil, its male and female parts respectively. And to make things harder, each flower on the vanilla plant opens just once and lasts only a few hours. If it doesn't get laid during this vanishing small window of opportunity, the flower wilts and dies. So it's fair to say that when it comes to sex, vanilla planifolia is very picky and rarely in the mood. Even in its native habitat, it's a wonder it ever reproduces. In a place like far north Queensland, where the orchard bee it has evolved in lockstep with doesn't exist, you'd think it would have Butler's chance of pollinating and setting fruit the prize aromatic vanilla beans. I remind you, this is where the taste of vanilla comes from, people. But on a hillside, above a lazy bend of the Bloomfield River, close to where it meets the ocean, north of Cape Tribulation, 
there's a colony of 250 vanilla plants that get their rocks off on a regular basis. <laughs> Seriously, it's like one big vanilla sex party up there. And it's all thanks to Nick Uptot, the flower tickler of the Daintree. <laughs> Early on <laughs> it gets better. Early on spring mornings before the sun's heat starts to bot, Uptight will knock back a coffee in his off-grid homestead and wander down to his vanilla or orchard or orchid. A series of small terrace plots with the vines are planted in raised beds and grown-up verticular tre tre trellises. He'll look for any flower that have been opened and hand-pollinate each one. He uses his fingers and a paper clip with one end straightened out to gently manoeuvre the flower's inner workings. A series of lobes, flaps and pockets in such a way that with a deft flick of his thumb, pollen is transferred onto the female part. It takes only a couple of seconds for upright's practised hands, you might call it, in an immaculate conception. And each pollinated flower results nine months later in a vanilla bean. Flowers appear in certain points along the vines. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, this bloke, <laughs> this bloke essentially just jacks off <laughs> vanilla plants. So they <laughs> pollinate the vanilla beans and he just, he literally flicks them off. <laughs> and this is like when you're having a vanilla milkshake, in Australia, in a cafe, it's because it's like <laughs> this, this place just like getting it on with a vanilla tree. <laughs> and that's the story. That's the article I wanted to share with you. The flower tickler. That, that, <laughs> that's not a nickname I would want. <laughs> uh, what well, like, so what like, do you what? do for it? What do you do for it? <laughs> what do you do yeah. for a job, mate? Oh, just be honest with you. I basically, jack off in the tricks. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? I didn't realize it was so hard to get uh, to get vanilla, though. That's interesting. Yeah, it's unbelievably difficult. So, so he reckons that, um, yeah, and it takes he harvests about twenty eight thousand vanilla beans. Out of I think well a hundred plus flowers or even more. But anyway, yeah, that's that. And if, if you're wondering all the price, the price yeah, is seven dollars fifty for a the, the price is seven dollars fifty for a single A grade bean, and fifty dollars for a twenty five grand tub of powder. So yeah, wow. Man, so let me see if the yeah, a, let me see if the bike. That's not bad. Don't say, mate. I said that's not bad. Seven. But I guess the amount of work that it goes in to just get the beans is probably crazy. Oh yeah. And if you if you want some of his, uh, I'll give him a promo and a plug this bloke. If you um, want some of his <laughs> carefully uh, seduced vanilla beans, go to bloomfieldvanilla.com.au. Bloomfieldvanilla.com.au. I'm actually and, uh, that yeah, up. you can just support support a bloke that. Yeah, <laughs> who's tickling flowers? Just tickling flowers all day long with his trusty paperclip. I mean, what's the chat? Is it like you know? Is is, is he kind of like nice and like, oh my gosh, you're such a such a beautiful flower. Let me just let me just touch you. Or <laughs> are you a bit more like 
aggressive one. Type this, type this paperclip, you dirty little vanilla. <laughs> I wonder how much of the vanilla we have is actually like natural. And how much is, oh, you know, yeah. just artificial. Oh, considering how hard it is, yeah. considering how lazy the vanilla tree is to, to, to actually, like, essentially procreate, yeah. Because yeah. you, always, you always see that, um, uh, like, vanilla bean-flavored ice cream and all that stuff. Is it actually? I never really took any time to read the ingredients on those. Well, now, now that I know how wondering. difficult it is yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to get vanilla, I'm kind of curious if it's... If it's flavoring or the actual vanilla bean. But they're not bad prices though. Mind you, a single a single A grade A grade bean was a fair bit, but for a tub, it's not too bad. Yeah. Anyway, right. But so I mean so you I guess the, the question is is how many beans do you get per 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 plant? And how much how much, you know. Man, I'm actually kind of curious now. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do a little bit more. I've got to look into this more when I got nothing going on, because uh, it's just yeah, on a really quiet day, you know, work. Yeah, one of those days. Thinking, God, God, the the boss man's really he's really coming down hard on me today. I'm feeling a little bit stressed. I'm just going to research vanilla beans. <laughs> uh, all right, hello, buddy. Over to you, man. We uh, we'll do your topic now. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... I guess the the big one is, did you see, well, I know you saw it, but what were your thoughts on the Tucker Carlson interview with, with Putin? I think that it was very interesting that Putin is described as this kind of uh, madman, unpredictable, you know, he's going to launch nuclear bombs on us and, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, and look, of course he's of course he's going to be pushing his own agenda, but he comes across as very intelligent, super intelligent first of all, right? Yeah. Uh, well, intelligent um, points put forth that you that that at least uh, I think the general the general audience would go, oh, okay, well maybe I do need to research that, uh, and I think that. It was the interview that needed to be had because you, you sort of see and you sort of see the person, and mm. then you so, and you think to yourself, well, well, there probably is a chance to negotiate with him. You know, he's not this. You know, he's not the Ayatollah of Iran that's like saying, let's wipe out all the infidels. And, you know, he's not this like crazy, you know, this so called crazy dictator, right? Um, and he kind of highlighted the fact that, you know, for multiple times they've tried to be the, they've tried to come to the party. But what people forget is that between Russia and, and in particular Western Europe, like Britain, I mean, you're talking like you know, like hundreds of years, yeah. you know, hundreds of years that they've been like fighting or going back to Tsarist Russia and everything like that. Yeah, and also, and also the there was things that I didn't know. I didn't know that Poland Poland took like part of the 
part of Czechos, or what is then Czechoslovakia. There wasn't a treaty, though. I think the Poles just kind of, you know, I think everyone just kind of grabbed it when they could. And, yeah. and I think that also the thing is with, with sort of Stalin is, is what we've alluded to before um, throughout our podcast on the subject is that the, a lot of the land was 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 ethnic Russian. You know, like yeah. Crimea, for example, was gifted by, was it uh, Khrushchev gifted Crimea basically to himself because he was Ukrainian. In 1950 or whatever the year was, so yeah, I think, and I think that now Tucker's going to be like decimated for it. But, yeah, but I think that you have to, you have to know, you have to know whoever it is, right? Whoever is your enemy, you have to at least know what they think. Um. And that's something for me that, I mean, look, that's, like, I guess, a family thing because my mum was always like, look, you know, you might you might disagree with someone like politically and spiritually and economically and whatever, but you need to understand them. Because if you are, if you are in the long term to defeat anyone, you need to understand how your enemy thinks. I think that's, I think that's the art of war, actually. Um but yeah, I mean, what did you think? I guess you approach it differently, also with your kind of cultural background with your mum as well. That you know, I guess you, you have a different take on it. Um, I mean, I never. I mean, anyone who thought that he wasn't intelligent, I don't. You know, I don't know why you would you would think that the guy was worked in the KGB, and obviously he is where he is. I mean, you you would have to assume you have a guy who came into Russia took over during a period of time where it was completely pretty much run by mobsters and he got the whole country sort of lock and step and to be able to do to do that um whether he's you know you know you could say he's a mobster himself or something i guess he can kind of give off the vibe that he is but i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because you sort of need those kind of harsh harsh leaders that maybe can get guys in line, especially there. So, I mean, what he's done after the fall of the Soviet Union is pretty incredible. Now, I, I mean, with anybody saying anything, you always have to take it with a grain of salt in terms of you have to do your own research and all these other things. But, I mean, the pro it, it is good that they had the interview. And I think it's great that people are listening to what he's saying in terms of, you know, why things have happened the way it's happened. And I, but I, I shouldn't say I believe, but I concur with a lot of the things that he has, that he has said in terms of, you know, he maybe went a little bit too far back in terms of the history of Russia, but I guess it was important for context in terms of, of land. But I, I agreed with Tucker's point in terms of, well, what year should the borders be, this is always the issue, even, you know, anything when anyone tries to get some type of reparation or say they deserve something because it used to be part of their land. The question is, well, it's convenient for you to go back this far, but why, you know, if you go back further, you didn't have it either, right? You, at the end of the day, it was all maybe tribes owning a small portion of something. Um, but it's clear as day that I, I think what I believe him on the most is that I am sure that Russia tried to be a part of, say, the global order after the Soviet Union fell. Um, and I really do believe that 
it was probably internal interests in the U.S. that prevented that from happening in, in the sense of Russia, you know, becoming friendlier with the West or joining NATO or having these like missile missile treaties because Russia has their own issues with Muslim extremists too right so there would have been no reason that they wouldn't have said yeah okay we can do like a missile defense pact against the the Iran Iran like he offered um but I think what's happened is there's interests in the U.S. that need the boogeyman and the easiest boogeyman is Russia in terms of a in terms of a big like a big uh, country, like an organized country boogeyman. Of course, terrorism is another one, but it's not as organized and not as, you know, big and powerful standing military resources as Russia. And Russia's just always been like, we've all, we've always, it, I want to say it's almost like an Anglo-Saxon holdover to dislike Slavs. And somehow it just keeps Oh, it absolutely is. going. And It absolutely is. no matter what they try to do, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And it's, I mean, it's, it's upsetting, right? It's upsetting because I don't think we could, we should be in this position, but at the end of the day, there's interests that don't want us to get along. And I'm not saying Putin's a great guy, blah, 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 blah. But I would say in terms of leaders, he is, I can't, I can't find the right words for Well, it you because watch, you watch, you watch this thing, right? Because the he's the playing with the the hand media, he was dealt is the best the way media to put it. shows, the media shows, and it's like, oh, you know, you need to get rid of Putin, and Yeah. you know, and and all the all these people that got caught up in the whole like Ukraine thing here, they're like we need to get rid of Putin. Rah, rah, rah. I said to them the whole time, the whole time, I was like, who replaces him? Like, yeah, you can look at him and you can disagree with the, the war in Ukraine, right? And you can disagree with the way that he runs it. And you can disagree that he, he bumps off his political opponents and everything like that. And there's stuff that I could easily critique him on, right? Yeah. But you've got no idea who would replace him. What happens for argument's sake if the bloke that got bumped off the Wagner's head started leading it? Like, or some, or some absolute, like, Maniac that like was in the Siberian prisons for twenty years and's come through the ranks, you know. Like, at least with him, at least with him, it's still someone of 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 somewhat sound mind that doesn't want to escalate it to sort of the levels that that the fear mongers tell you. You know, he doesn't come across from that interview and you leave it and you think, oh gosh, like. He's an absolute nut job and he's lining up all the nuclear bombs at, at us and he's gonna like hit hit and take us out and and, and there's gonna be World War Three and you know, we're gonna have to go fight Russia and everything like that, right? It's not like that at all. He's kind of saying, Look, you basically just pushed me into a corner, like what else can I do? And you've re you've reneged on every single promise you've made. And after that, he's still saying, I'm still open for a discussion. You know, and I think that I think that the worst that was the worst move because if you think about the power that Russia still has off the back of the Soviet Union around the world, right? and I've travelled to a lot of countries and even the taxi drivers will be like, no, nah, we're still with Russia because when we were poor and we needed them, the Soviet Union was helping us out and weren't going to turn back on them. So if you had Russia on side with the West, right, as a conglomerate, I mean, internationally that would help enormous amount. Middle East? 
would help enormous amount, right? Yeah. Uh, throughout throughout the harmony, throughout sort of the continuous uh, fight over African resources, um, global policing, um, accountability of, of, of nuclear weapons, um, prosperity, like you would have cheap, uh, cheap energy, cheap uh, affordability of grains for everyone. Um, yeah. So a lot of the living would be easier for people. Um, so yeah, I I, I think that I, I don't know, bro. I've got I've got so in my own view, I think there's so much bigger fish to fry, right? Uh, my own take is I think that Iran is the one that needs to be really pulled into line because their 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 proxies are, are, are provoking so much, right? Yeah. China, yeah. China. I mean, President Xi is doing his own thing, right? And I think China is um, is always going to be the balance to the to the declining West. But I think China's honestly the main focus is internally now. Their economy is no good at all. Um, so therefore, I think that the the problem that we have at the moment is that our house is in order in the West. We're declining at a rapid rate and we're dividing at a rapid rate. Uh, and now, you know, well, I guess we can even talk about it now. Like, people talk about America and they say, oh, well, there's a prospect they could have a civil war there. And even yeah, in yeah. Australia, people say to me, bro, thank God we don't have arms. Because, like, they, for the first time ever in my life, which I thought was so... Like, never. Like, impossible. Now you think, God, if people are armed in Australia, it's so divided between, like, woke left and, say, Melbourne, right? Like, hard, militant, woke left versus people in the north and the farmers that are like, these people are off their heads and they're ruining our country and our energy supply, you know? So I guess that's kind of the next step. Like, do you think that there could be sort of a civil war in, in America? Or do you think it's just, it's just media? Uh, I think it's just media, and I think they have look. They are they will do anything and everything to try to get guns out of the hands of people. One hundred percent. The government. I shouldn't even say the. Go I mean, the government is more or less just acting on the whims of say the people. The people in charge having an armed population, while it does have its drawbacks for sure, also has a lot of points in the sense of you can't. You can't run. Uh, it's very difficult to enforce, overstep your boundaries in terms of power. In terms of a civil war, I don't think. I mean, nobody, nobody wants one. You probably have some radicalized people on both sides who, I think we spoke about this before. I wouldn't be surprised if you had, again, interests within the U.S. who would support both sides and stage a bunch of. Um, stage a bunch of like hotspot incidents and then scare the general public. And then of course their first solution is going to be something like martial law and, Oh, give us all your guns. Now at the end of the day, the whole give us all your guns thing. Um, who are they taking them from? You're not telling me that the, that the gangs and the bloods and crips are going to be lining up to give all their guns back. The only people they're going to be taking it from is going to be the law abiding citizens. They, they they are they are more afraid of law abiding citizens banding together and not you know just telling just telling the government to f off 
versus any kind of organized crime. They could wipe out organized crime in a second because nobody nobody would care, right? The majority of citizens would be damn happy if they came out and they said, oh, we just had, of course you have some people protest, but if a news thing came out and said, oh, we just raided a cartel base and you know blew half of them to hell, everybody would cheer. Majority of the population would cheer. So they're not worried about them. They're more worried about you know normal people not listening to them. And the easiest way to do this is to, I, I wouldn't be, look, there were documents even during the Code War, where the CIA and everyone, they all had these plans to start false flag incidents to get people to comply for different laws. There was even, I mean, the Vietnam War was based on a lie, right? The Gulf of Tonkin Bay was a lie. Didn't happen, but they got us into a war with it. Nobody talks about it anymore, but they admitted it was fake. Nothing happened, actually. Then they had another plan about, I can't remember, something about the Something with Cuba, this was during the Cold War, that they were looking for an excuse as to, oh, how can we make something look like this happened and get the population riled up? So, uh, it, I mean, this is just what they do, right? This isn't anything It was a Bay new. of Pigs, wasn't it? Wasn't the Bay of Pigs where they were going to go in and then start revolts in the in the I think they wanted to in the make towns? a, say, make an, a, no, no, they had a plan to actually blow something up in the U.S., Or like similar to, you know, how they did it with Vietnam, where they said a ship was shot at when it wasn't. They wanted to do something where something got blown up or or there was, again, some something that would rile the population up to allow them Well, to I guess go anyway, invade. they do do their, re their research on it. So, I mean, yeah, it'd be Yeah. it'd be interesting to it'd be interesting to see. Um, I, I don't think there will be a civil war. I think it'll be controlled sides. scaring normal people and if we've seen anything after covid the people the people are who i can't remember who that uh, that guy was but he said the government's by the people uh, uh for the people and all that but he said but the people are retarded and that's it's so it's so true man and the, after i saw everything that happened with covid how quickly everybody was willing to just sign away in america man in america how quickly people were to just give up their free rights. That's the, that's the only redeeming America quality. is what shocked me more. Yeah. I, I, I was shocked in Australia because we always had that concept of mateship, you know, like there's bushfires and then people would get in their utes and take bottles of water and, Yeah. you know, like young 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 people would go and head up and like, you know, can we help the firefights? Can we cook, cook some hot dogs? And Yeah. there was that sort of like, you know, you, you take care of your mates and there was that sort of tall poppy syndrome as well of like, you know, Don't let people get too big and too arrogant and kind of essentially bully them to keep them humble. But what amazed me was America because America was always this, you know, life, liberty and, and justice and Pursue freedom happiness. and equality and, you know, like against tyranny and everything like that. And it just Yeah. it just crumbled within seconds. And I and I think that it, it I think Australia would be different if it happened again. I, I but think I don't same know in about the U.S. America. I think the same in the U.S. It would be different. Now, I know that nobody's taking vaccines at all anymore. Like, uh, uh, I think the, the, I think that the, I think that Australians I think that Australians a a well we've still got a massive mental health crisis. Uh, Yeah, now a couple of years later, right? same. Like, Yeah. still mental health crisis. Children still have huge problems uh, speaking. because Oh, wow. there's like a whole generation of uh, 
people were having obviously nothing to do at home and you locked up with the missus and had a bit of hanky-panky, so there was heaps of COVID babies. Um, and then they all had trouble. They have all trouble speaking because the baby learns by lip reading because everyone was wearing masks and there was no contact with mm. like, people outside of the home. They just, there's there's all these issues. And then they've also got issues of, um, of uh, being around people and, and everything like that. So... But I think that, yeah, I think that the society, it's just that there'll be more resistance because they don't want to do it again. And I asked I asked quite a few of my friends actually about it, just across all political spectrums out of interest. Mm-hmm. And the kind of initial response was like, yeah, you know what, like for the first maybe month or two, we'd, we'd accept it. Just, you know, on the advent that it was like a Spanish flu when everyone was dying in the streets. You know, but then after that, like, just kind of got no interest in it. You know, then then we'd probably push back. You know, so yeah, yeah, it'd be, I, be interesting. But I mean, I, yeah. So I mean, knows, nah, I I I I think I don't think there's a I don't think there's a I don't think there's any chance for for an actual civil war. But I think it'll be a it'll be a directed sort of like a directed thing. So there'll so, be some conflict. I I don't know if they'll go that far. I mean, look, at the end of the day, anybody who trusts, anybody who thinks the CIA has the America's best interest's heart is, is I, I don't know, like delusional. Like these, these people yeah, no, are... At this point, because they're listening to our podcast, special shout out to the CIA. And uh, yeah, look, if you're over around uh, Melbourne area, drop by, make you a cup of tea, have a bit of a gossip about what's going on. Uh, anyway, we've got 10 minutes left, so I guess we change it up. Uh, JP Morgan exits mm. Climate Action 100+. plus. So a lot of the major Wall Street banks were part of this Climate 100+, plus, which was tied into ESG, which is a, a basically like um, environmental investments and whatnot, right? So this is... In, green renewables and sustainable financing and everything like that. And now, recently, we've had J.P. Morgan State Street quit this climate group, which was an activist group that they were part of, and BlackRock BlackRock saying that they're going to step back. Uh, The decisions together removed nearly $14 trillion of total assets from efforts to coordinate Wall Street action on tackling climate change and came after apparently there's some sort of tie-in with uh oh here it is financial firms have faced growing pressure from republican politicians over their membership of such groups amid accusations that committing to shared action could be a breach of Mm. antitrust law or fiduciary duty None of the firms started politics amongst the observations, but yeah, basically they're pulling it out. So, question why are they doing it? And then the next question is um, what would be the counter to it? Because the green movement is obviously very strong. Now, what do you think? I'm not sure. Um, because for sure they 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 want they want this. I don't think this isn't in their plans, but something tells me they pushed. I think they pushed too hard, and now more and more people sort of know about the whole uh, 
jerk off session between BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, how they pretty much own everything and they all own each other. So it's a handful of people sort of, at least on the corporate sense, pushing pushing the agenda. Um, Well, they I aren't our main. They aren't our. They're the major owners of our biggest supermarket here that was pushing the nothing for mean, Australia they, day as well. they own everything. All, I'm sure all of your major mining companies that are publicly listed are also pretty much all owned by them. I think BHP, Yeah, they've all got BHP a share. is that they are majority shareholders in majority of cases. So I think they don't like that people know that, or there's more people there. I, I definitely don't think they like the fact that people are more cognizant of who they are. Um, and Yeah. it's It'd be not an interesting just. podcast just to learn about the back the background of BlackRock and how they actually built and expanded, just from a purely uh, business financial perspective. Like politics aside, like how do how do how do you how do you start off initially with the funds, then how do you grow, and then how how who is it just like um, is it just investment from stock or uh, is it a hedge fund and it's just wealthy investors, and then how do you generate so much wealth to keep expanding, and then is there like because if they own everything, surely there's a lot of businesses that are hemorrhaging money as well as making it. So how do you even it out? Uh, I'm I'm sure I would think that the majority of their their profit comes from that they're so deeply ingrained in the government and that they can rely on government policy and help to I mean look at the in Ukraine I don't remember which one it was but they they got the they pretty much got the guarantee to be the the company that will be rebuilding Ukraine after the war which is Oh worth wow. billions, right? Like, like th this is what they do. This is how they make their money. I, th these kind of companies aren't rich because they're smart. They're rich because they are pretty much in bed with the government and they can work out these deals. I, I, I mean, and then once you get to a certain point, it's not hard to keep the money growing, right? Like that's why they say the rich only get richer pretty much. It's true. Like it's just, they're, they get rich on the back of taxpayers, essentially. And then they start dictating corporate policy, which is somehow, you know, permeates the life of everybody. But they're not independent, I think, either. I think they're also towing a line um, that they, they have their part to play. But I don't think that they I don't think they're happy that people are talking about them, because I think two, if you would have said anything two, three, four years ago, probably most people wouldn't even know who they were. But now you have more podcasts talking about them, more people pointing the finger at them. You have all these farmer protests going against all this Green New Deal agendas and everything. So there's sort of a target on them. And obviously they are losing money in some of their investments. And this green stuff is all a lost cause. It pretty much survives off of government subsidies. Without the subsidies, it's shit. So maybe they see some writing on the wall and they think that, okay, well, what's the point of us being in here? Because it's just going to lump us in with the failed government policies. Uh, I'm pretty sure like the, the elected officials are for sure the first scapegoats. They have no say whatsoever. Those guys are bought and sold, owned, forget them. But they're going to be the ones who get berated for this shit, right? Everyone's going to forget that all the Vanguard and all this shit had their own ESG policies that they were shoving down companies' throats. They're not going to care. They're going to point the finger at whoever was elected. And these guys are going to disappear. They'll come back, but they'll disappear. But now I think there's too much heat there. I think they, they don't like people know who they are and they don't like that. There's so many protests happening and they don't like that. The, the tide has sort of shifted against them. So they're going to quietly step away. They'll probably tone everything down for a bit and, and maybe let things go back to normal. 
for a limited period of time, but I definitely don't think they want to be in the cross crosshairs. That's my my opinion on it. I think also that it's got to the point where they're sort of done enough to show that they're they're on the right track for the people that wanted, and now they've probably got to the stage. I was already I think JP Morgan's also got his own internal policies. So they were like, well, why do we need to be part of this? You know, why do we need to be part of these groups when we can do it internally? And, and you know, we've already put billions of dollars into all of the, all of it to to show to show where it's at. Um, but this is a – I'm actually waiting on the answer from a few people at the moment. But on the renewables thing, we had uh, massive blackouts in um, my state and it was caused by basically super random, like kind of hurricane wind that blew down the transmission towers and then caused a short-circuit surge in the coal power plant. But here was the thing. It was too windy for the windmills to work and there was no sun for the solar. And then even though we're spending $120 billion in a couple of railway stations, no one's investing properly in the infrastructure. So everyone's like, oh, it's climate change, climate change, climate change. But I just want to actually ask these environmentalists, like, okay, well, you're going down solar and wind. What actually is your backup for when this event happens? Because we're not investing in coal power plants and you don't want to use gas and you don't want to use nuclear, you know, and you're using old wiring from decades ago. Like, what actually is your backup? Because um, at the moment, there's no answer for it. So anyway, buddy, there's a couple of minutes left. So uh, final thoughts, mate, for, uh, for the week ahead. Just taking it day by day. That's my final thoughts. I think uh, we'll have some new topics next week, and let's just keep hoping the world calms down and we're back in 2016 or something, <laughs> or 2019, I don't know. <laughs> uh, 2015? 2015. I think 2015 was a good year. <laughs> Go back to 2015 Jesus, status. Mate, this is a decade ago, bro. You, you, yeah. You, you, you're not even 30, mate. You know, you can't be that jaded. You know, okay, okay. Let's leave. do 20. Give it, a couple, give it a couple more years before you hate the world, man. Oh, it's still man. supposed to be in your euphoric phase. <laughs> all right, all right. 2019. I'll give you 2019. Yeah, yeah. Cool. 2019. <laughs> we can deal with that, man. All right, buddy. Uh, Enough of me. I, I don't know. I think the world's just, just gone to, to absolute hellhole. But on the bright side, it gives us a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about on on podcasts. True, and, true. Uh, yeah, keep and now podcasting is so popular it keeps everyone employed. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> the answer to the economy. We all become podcasters. Maybe. <laughs> all right, uh, buddy, all right man. This, mate. Thank you. Yeah, see you, dude. Bye. See you, dude. Bye.